It is so good to be with you today, and so good to be with you during this amazing year of the Spirit-filled life. What a year that you are journeying through together, just to seek and know more of what it is to live the Christian life, the Spirit-filled life. And these weeks of Lent, I'm so honored to be a part of this first Wednesday as you're journeying into prayer. This is such a great coming series that you're going to be a part of. And I think we can be confident. God is after this in you. He is desirous of this for you. Can we just say right from the beginning here about prayer that God's not interested in some sort of performance? You're not going to get a grade on your prayer in Lent. This is not about some kind of mark you have to meet. How much God loves, delights in the sound of your voice. And if you can just move toward him in this love, God is after, he's after this for you. And my question this morning is, what are you after in prayer this Lent? What are you after in it? What are you needing in your relationship with God? Not what are you needing from that relationship, but what are you needing in it? And how could we pray for that today? That's something of what we were inviting people to on the Awakening Tour last month. This winter, New Room has partnered with Woodlands Music for a series of nights of worship and prayer for awakening in about 20 locations across five states, the majority of which have been on university and college campuses. And um, it's just been amazing. In fact, the Awakening Tour will be here at the seminary for chapel in about a couple of weeks when Todd Hunter is preaching. And when we've come to moments of asking people, how could I pray for you tonight? So much of the time, so many of the responses were in different ways, really for things that you could put into the category of fire. My passion for Jesus is just not what it used to be. I want to believe him for more. I want to really see God's face. I want to experience him more fully again really all basically yearning to stoke the fires of prayer, to, to, to be closer, to the experience of closeness with God again, which was really kind of surprising in a way for us on the tour. I mean, these were college students. They're in the season of idealism. They're in the time of life of the greatest freedom and energy and desire, but really not actually all that surprising after all because a burning heart a first love for Jesus, a vocation fanned into flame, prayer that hangs everything on what God can do is so easy to lose, regardless of our age or station in life. And ironically, that can happen particularly very easily in seminary, where putting spiritual zeal under an exegetical or anthropological or pastoral or historical microscope for a grade can douse its spark in us. And I will tell you, it will happen so easily when you leave here. One of the biggest challenges I faced as a pastor all the time was the, the, just the challenge of bringing an authentic passion for God, not faking that, not putting on some sort of facade of being on when everything inside me spiritually was barely reading a pulse, but actually bringing a a bit of genuine fervor and warm faith to worship and preaching and leading and vision in any kind of semblance of of consistency. That was one of the biggest challenges of what I ever faced as a pastor. 
just being having a real fire actually burning in here with everything else that was pushing that down. Very tough at times. Protecting and fueling the flame of prayer is a constant challenge. And the truth is, you know this. We're just not much without it. All our skills combined with a flame that's out. John Wesley, who knew a burning heart when he felt it, is credited with once having said, light yourself on fire with passion and people will come from miles to watch you burn. This has been the nature of the Christian movement wherever it has ever been the vanguard of life change. When Christianity has been the source of real culture transformation, there has been fire, passionate love for God and for this world his son died to save. Jonathan Edwards believed that the essential virtue of the Christian is zeal. In his words, an inward ardency of mind to excite us, to acquit ourselves like men and women in the race and in the battle. Charles Finney once asked in a sermon, does any person's love for God and for souls set their orthodoxy and their creeds on fire so that every truth burns in their souls and glows forth from their faces? If so, you will not see them absent from prayer meetings, he went on, but you will see that the divine things have taken hold of their souls with overwhelming interest and power. So I'd like to ask again, what are you after in prayer this Lent? What are you needing in your relationship with God? Not from that relationship, but what are you needing in it? Because fire from the burning bush to the blazing glory on the mountaintop when the law was revealed, to the coming of the flame of the tabernacle, to the raining down of sulfur upon Sodom and Gomorrah, fire from that pillar of fire in the wilderness to when it broke apart into tongues of fire on every believer at Pentecost. God discloses himself as fire. No wonder we find it dissatisfying to have a cold heart. I have come to bring fire on the earth, Jesus said, Luke 12. Don't put out the Spirit's Fire, 1 Thessalonians 5, 19. Fan into flame the gift that is within you, Paul wrote to Timothy. That is worth chasing this Lent, worth pursuing, worth fasting for, because whatever your service of Christ may ever become, whatever hope the world may ever have in the church, it will only be to the level of the fervent love of God first found in us, in you and in me. Nothing can be more important than that. The fire is first in me. Such was the case with Elijah. Israel had lost its soul in what had seemed like a kind of at the time sort of a harmless blend of their religious heritage and the spiritual interests of the day, just a little bit of Yahweh, a little bit of Baal, but in all of that, they had lost their spine and they had lost their conscience. Elijah went before the people. We heard read 1 Kings 18, 21, and he said, how long will you waver between two opinions? And the Hebrew word of that word waver is the same as the word dance, which is the same word used when the prophets of Baal were dancing around their altar, frantically bopping and leaping around. How long will you waver like this, hopping from one side to the other? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. And here's the telling line. 
the Bible says, the people said nothing. Fire out, except in one, consumed with authority and conviction. Elijah bounds onto the scene and starts calling the shots, telling the king what to do, challenging everyone to make a choice, establishing the terms of the showdown, facing down the entire secular and sacred regime and then taunting them as it crumbles. You know, I wonder, maybe you need to shout a little louder. I think Baal's asleep or maybe he's deep in thought. I think he's gone on a trip. What are we going to do? And then whatever he said, the people did. Such was the commanding authority of one burning heart, trained in the isolation of Kareth Ravine, forged out of the desperation of Zarephath, now virtually unshakable, surrounded by royalty, surrounded by 850 pagan prophets, surrounded by throngs of confused Hebrews, all silenced and intimidated by this one man of prayer. And if you really think about it, you stop and think about it. The people who have really influenced you, the people that are probably most influential in the fact that you're sitting in this room, think about the people who have who left you different than they found you, not just memorable people, but the people who have really marked you and shaped you. They are only a handful. And at least in my life, invariably, they have been hot-hearted Christians. People of zeal. People of of great passion in love of Jesus. Passionate for him. Elijah-like. It makes me wonder if I'm having that kind of influence on anyone. We should never underestimate the power of one totally consecrated life. One burning heart among the lost and confused. And you know what happens. Elijah slowly moves 12 huge stones into place representing the 12 families of God's people. Slabs of meat are positioned. Then he starts digging this little ditch, this moat around the whole altar. Everyone looking on until he stops, snaps them out of their staring with a call for water. Four jugs, three times, the whole thing is drenched. The trench is filled until there is no doubt this sacrifice is inflammable. And then there is the prayer. Again, such a contrast. The prophets of Baal had screamed and spun around and spit and shouted and beaten and cut their bodies until they were bleeding. A kind of mutilation strictly forbidden in the law of Moses. But Elijah prays with simple earnestness. Listen to it once more. Just listen. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, Answer me and let it be known that you, O Lord, are God and you are turning their hearts back again. It was a prayer for awakening. And God came on Mount Carmel and he incinerated that sacrifice. 
the stones, the dirt around it, and even the water in the trench, all reduced to ashes. And First King says, when the people saw this, they fell prostrate. Wouldn't you? They fell on their faces and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Now, there's just so much for us in this, so much for us this Lent, so much for us in prayer. You know there were those moments when Elijah went just about off the rails, so wrecked with despair and loss. And in that hot crucible, God had forged a mighty man who could confront the whole multitude of evil in his day and in the power of God defeat it. Now, it's no wonder that Elisha, his successor, would ask God later for a double portion of Elijah's spirit. This is a master theme of Elijah's story. Really, it's a theme of my story, maybe of yours. Maybe it could be a theme of these coming weeks of Lent. What it would mean if you could open that difficulty that you have faced, that shame you contend with, that struggle that you are in, how the whole perspective of that could be revolutionized by turning toward what God could use this for in training and equipping you for prayer. Could we ask this Lent, oh God, this suffering, this deprivation, this challenge I'm in, God, what kind of praying could this equip me for? Because we know Elijah is proof that nothing forges prayer like being brought through difficulty by God. But a second thing might be this for Lent. We learn from this showdown on Mount Carmel that divided allegiance can be as harmful as open idolatry. Now, you know, it's just so easy to blend in, so commonplace to blend in with the world like the Hebrews were doing, working our little compartments of religion in this cubicle and our work here and our sports there and our friendships there and our money here and this and that and the other, all partitioned off, are thinking that a little something questionable is so long as no one really ever knows about it, it's no big deal. Our inconsistency over the standards we expect of others and the low bar that we hold ourselves to, that kind of mediocre Bopping around is what God spit out of his mouth in Laodicea and what God cremated on Mount Carmel. The day that you and I live in, it calls for fiery Christians, fervent Christians, single-minded, bold in the love and power of God. Maybe this Lent, maybe our hearts have gone cool because of some things that we need to add to the altar before Elijah prays. Maybe we need to add our gossip. Maybe we need to put our porn on those rocks. Maybe we need to offload our jealousy and pride and complacency and busyness and whatever could be in the secret places of our double-mindedness that threatens to quench the fires of God. Maybe we just need to put that stuff on the altar and let God be done with it. Because Elijah teaches us how Divided allegiance can be as harmful as open idolatry. And then lastly this, 
in Elijah's praying, there was fire in both the big and the small. Now just think with me about this for just a second. Elijah's prayer was big. I mean, he was asking that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God. That was huge. That was asking God for a social, cultural pivot, for a sweeping apologetic of experience, a convincing encounter with the living God, a bold ask, as desperate as it was profound, asking for the humanly impossible. Sometimes I wonder if our prayer kind of drops in temperature because what we ask God for is actually attainable in the flesh. It requires very little heat. But if we were to plead for the church at its best, if we were to ask God for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our day, there'd be no way to pray for that with any kind of cool ambivalence. Fire in Elijah moved him to pray big, but also in a way to pray small. I mean, when you think about it, there was a moment a specificity in Elijah's prayer, a particularity, this place, these people, this need, a right here, right now desperation in his prayer that hung everything on God moving now. Big praying doesn't mean broad, generic praying. Oh, Lord, bless the seminary. Lord, help our church follow your will. Lord, move in our community. Nothing wrong with those prayers. But particularity in prayer feels much more risky. It summons greater faith. And when we have more at stake in the specific request, prayer is much less likely to stall out at room temperature. Fire in the big and the small. Now my hunch is, is that you have some idea of your answer to this. What are you after in prayer this Lent? What are you needing in your relationship? with God so consistently. God hears the appeal of those who make their heart an altar, who kindle it with humble obedience and ask God to come. That is a prayer. You never need to wonder if that's God's will. You never need to ask, I don't know, God, if you will. No, you ask God, fill me with fire. You can count on, he loves to do that. He's after that. He's after that in you this Lent. This is how we need to live Every day. I remember how my grandfather would heat their home out of a wood stove. Every day, he would put some new wood in there. It was the last thing he did at night. And the first thing he did every morning, stoking the fires. Not burning the house down, not burning out, but just sustaining a kind of prayer that is glowing and aflame. I think we were created to live in that kind of experience of God. What are you needing to do for that to be true in you today? You know, it's not always that we take a moment to pray about our prayer. We pray, we ask a lot, we need to, he invites us to. But it isn't often, and Lent's a good time to do this, that we just pray about our prayer. And it could be any way in which God would meet you in that. That it may be what's needed to refresh and refuel the flame in you could be rest. 
It could be that you're numb and cool because you're just overextended. And Jesus would invite you to come to him and let him give you rest. Or it may be that what we need to do is exert. And I just would invite you to consider fasting. I don't know how you may be fasting this Lent, but even on these Wednesdays, could you fast breakfast and show up every Wednesday for these Wednesdays of prayer hungry? Really hungry? You know, I've kind of felt like that we've said on the awakening tour that prayer is kind of like what Jesus talked about with money. You know how he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also? How our heart kind of follows our money? I kind of feel the same is true prayer in our bodies, that when we fast, it's like where your body goes, your heart will follow. Somehow our body just almost generates something inside. If we could just maybe consider some sort of exertion, something we need to do, not performing, I said at the beginning, this isn't about God watching to see if you do good enough. No, but you know what you need to do to just bring something new this Lent, to say, God, I want to be blazing inside for you. You'll have some time here as we come to the altar, the altar of prayer, and let him feed you and refresh you and stoke those fires again today.